Do you remember when you were in the sixth grade? Oh, I could not forget it. When I kissed my first girl, but anyhow, what I remember the most is right next to the building was a pond. And every single recess, Ricky was in the pond. You know, the, the, the recess would end and everybody is sitting and Mrs. Norton would look around, where's Ricky? In the pond, Mrs. Norton. Well, go get him out of the end. Ricky! And he'd come in. When he'd come in, guess how he sounded? Splush, splush, splush. I don't know why that boy never worried about wet feet, but he went through all of grade school and junior high with wet feet. Now, the thing that was interesting about the pond was the things you could find in it, other than Ricky. In the spring, we found tadpoles. And we'd catch them and we'd put them in a fish bowl and put them on the windowsill and we could watch them grow. And what's the first thing that happens with a tadpole? The tail starts shrinking down, right? And then what do you see happening? And then his little legs start sprouting out. Pretty soon you got a little frog on your hands and what do you do with them? Put them back in the pond, right? Well, we can't talk to tadpoles, of course, right? But wouldn't it be interesting if we could picture, hi, little guy, you're really kind of cute. Bloop, bloop. Well, you're welcome. Say, that's quite a tail you got there, too. Bloop, bloop. Oh, you're welcome again. You know what's going to happen to that tail of yours, little tadpole? Bloop. It's going to disappear. Yeah, really, it's going to disappear. And instead, you're going to have four legs. Yeah, you are. And you're going to turn into an amphibian. What? An amphibian. You'll be a frog. You can hop out of all that wet into the dry. What's dry? Uh, Let's see. What's dry? Dry is... The absence of wet. Opposite? Huh? Yeah. How would you explain dry to a tadpole? Everything the tadpole knows is what? Wet. How do you explain dry? You know, this to me illustrates the problem or challenge God has of trying to tell us some things because we just have never been in his world, never been off terra firma. For instance, the idea of being sinless, huh? You ever been sinless? You ever been where there isn't lots of sin? I mean, and if God were to try to explain to us what it means to be without sin, how would he do that? Well, Leave it to God. He's smart, really intelligent. In Hebrews 1, it starts verse 1. Let me give you a minute to find it, all right? Hebrews 1, 1. Well, it's really nice to be again with you. I mean, be with you again today. Um, 
this is a fun, enjoyable place to come and group to be within church, isn't it? Really is, really is. All right, Hebrews 1.1, it says this, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers. How? By the prophets, all right? By the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us. How? By his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. In other words, God chose his son, and I'm sure the son volunteered too. He may have had trouble saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, Jesus, let me finish what I'm saying first. And then he does, and he says, now son, that's exactly what I was going to say, dad, let me go down there. What a wonderful team we have in heaven, right? The Father and the Son and the Spirit. Boy, they love working for us down here and getting us to a better land. Isn't that wonderful? It it really is. Well, anyhow, who was Jesus' mother? Was she a human being? Oh, of course she was. So if you checked his blood out, what would you find in each blood cell? Hint, it begins with the letter C-H. Oh, come on, you know that. They're called, you have a number of them in every blood cell. Chromosomes. You would actually find real chromosomes in Jesus' blood. Because he was really a human being. And what does that mean then? If you had a problem, would he understand you and your problem? Yeah, he sure would. Better than anybody else you can imagine. Oh, but how about understanding God? Because he's representing us to him. Would he, would he understand God? Let me dig to a text on that, all right? Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9. I like this text because it says a whole lot in just a couple of words. Speaks of Jesus and his relationship to deity is the word. You have it? Colossians 2.9. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Wow. Now, He's he's dead, been dead a number of years, Ron Wyatt. You ever heard of a guy named Ron Wyatt? He was kind of a, a Seventh-day Adventist soldier of fortune, if such there be. Anyhow, he went bushwhacking around the Middle East looking for things, such as where did the crossing of the Red Sea really happen, and where was Mount Sinai actually at? He found some things that are different than what tour guides over there will tell you. Anyhow, Ron supposedly, according to his account, and there are accounts of this on YouTube, if you can believe whatever you see on the computer, that is, he said that one day, it's like the Lord showed him, go in there, Ron. He went in there, and it was a passageway back. This is in the city of Jerusalem. And he came on to the Ark of the Covenant. Now, some people believe 
that that was secreted in a cave down below where the cross Jesus died on actually was. Interesting, isn't it? Well, when they put Jesus on the cross, what did the soldier do with him to see that he was dead for real? He took the spear and did what? Punctured his side. And John, in the Gospel of John, says two things came out. What were they? Blood and water. And the thought many people have had is that dripped down and there was a crack underneath the, underneath where the cross was in the rocks, and the blood went down and dripped on the actual mercy seat of the actual Ark of the Covenant that the Israelites had had in the wilderness. And supposedly, Ron said, I don't know if you believe this or not, but it sounds incredible. He, he got some of the blood from the top of it, and he took it to a lab in, in Israel. And when he got there, they they brought a report back and they said, well, Mr. Wyatt, this only has half as many chromosomes as it's supposed to have. Where did you get this? He said, that is the blood of the one who is your Messiah. And they looked at him in stunned silence and didn't say a word. But he said it wasn't long Every one of those men had become a believer in Jesus as they saw it. So, Timmy, whether that is so or not, I think it makes sense that Jesus' blood only has half as many chromosomes as our blood because he was human, but there was another part of him that was what? Divine. So Jesus is what we call the God-man, right? He understands our Father in heaven so well because he's divine like he is. He understands completely. And he's human like we are. Did he ever get tired, hungry, distressed? Did he laugh? Did he cry? Did he sleep? Did he eat real food? Yes, all of that. So he's perfect Savior from that point of view. He understands us totally, and he understands our Father totally. You and I can go to him and know we're going to be heard, we're going to be understand, understood, pardon me, and we're going to be helped in the way he knows best that we need help. So, let me ask you, why are you waiting to pray? You know, if he's there and he understands God and us so well, why don't we go to him quicker than we do, sooner? He's waiting. He has an answer. Ellen White put it this way. God has, anybody know the number of ways of providing for us? That's right, I hear it. He has a thousand ways of providing for us of which we know not. Even one. All right. Now, what has this all got to do with what faith read for Scripture reading a bit ago? All right. In Revelation, by the way, the book of Revelation starts how? What does it say? It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, doesn't that make you wonder, how come Luther had so much trouble with that book? He said, I just don't find Jesus there. 
But that's what it says. It's the revealing of Jesus. All right? Now, are you familiar with the text John 5.39? He was talking to the religious leaders. And he said, you fellas search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. But they, what? I'm glad some of you know that text is a good one to know. They testify of me. In other words, you take the Bible, this one that's open here on the, on the uh, table in front of us. Who's it all about really anyway? It's all about Jesus. Now, we know that Jesus came down here. Remember, Philip says, Father, or Jesus, show us the Father. And Jesus was so shocked, he almost dropped what he was holding. He said, what, Philip, have I been this long with you and you haven't seen him? If you've seen me, what? You've seen him. He came down here to reveal the Father. So if you've ever wondered, what's God like? Look at Jesus. Is just like him. You know, when you see a little baby, remember Johnny Carson? I think he's been dead a while now. He said, when you see somebody sporting a brand new baby and there's just buttons popping, the only thing it's really safe to say is, that sure is a baby. He looks just like his mama just looks like her daddy or something like this, you know. We we evaluate children in those terms, don't we? How like a parent they are. Can our Father in Heaven be any different? To be just that song, little song we sing at the beginning of worship, I love that. I've never heard it sung anywhere else, but I love it to be like Jesus. Man. Shall we? Get your book out. Let's sing it again right now. Shall we? Inside your back cover to be like Jesus. Let's do it again. This is our objective, to be like him. To be like Jesus. Pardon me, I've got to start around. To be like Jesus, to be like Jesus, to be the one I was created to be, to be like Jesus. To be like Jesus, may all who see my heart find him in me. I love that. You know, I got an email from a retired pastor friend of mine. He said, I want to be so full of the Lord that when a mosquito bites me, she flies away singing, there's power in the blood. Anyhow, so it's all about whom? Jesus. Jesus. That's right. And he's all about whom? The Father. Now you're getting it all together. All right. Revelation 4. Let's spend a little time here. And we're also going to connect with the book of Ezekiel. Because what you encounter in Revelation 4, you first run into in Ezekiel, 
twice, chapter 1 and chapter 10. But chapter 4 starts this way, all right? Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. Stop just a minute. Any guess who that is? That's got to be God, our Heavenly Father, sitting on the throne. Does he rightfully have a seat on a throne? Oh, yes, he does. He certainly does. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian, whatever they look like. <laughs> and he, uh, around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of what? What color is an emerald? It's green, that's right. Around the throne were 24 other thrones. Now, a fellow very familiar with ancient Middle Eastern culture said those probably were pillows. The word can be translated that too. 24 pillows cast on because who sat the highest in the throne room? The potentate, no one else. So he sat up high and everybody else sat lower. 24 elders they were clothed in what? White garments. I don't understand too much of any of this, but white garments, I understand. What does that stand for? The righteousness of Jesus Christ. And also another one, it says, the white raiment is the good deeds of the saints of God. So it's positive. And they have what on their heads? Golden crowns. It says, from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. Now, so far so good. You know what? You know what crystal looks like? Oh, it can be so beautiful. Almost as pretty as diamonds. It catches light and so nice. Anyhow, heaven, this is the backdrop of much of Revelation, what heaven is. Now, it's not so much what's what you're looking at, but what's going on up there. That is where our salvation is happening. Furthermore, Something else is happening, continuing. And around the throne on each side of the throne are what? How many of them? Four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature, now in Ezekiel, each of the four has four faces. Here, the four are split up among the four the same point. We'll get to that in just a bit. They had eyes in front and behind. The first was like what? A lion. The second like an ox. The third with a face of a man. And the fourth like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings. In Ezekiel, they only had four. Here they've got six. And in Ezekiel, it said they had human hands under their wings. Interesting. It doesn't mention that here. Okay. And they're full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say what? What's What are they doing? 
It's like going through a rosary saying the same thing over and over and over They are saying the same thing over, but it's no rosary, it's no liturgy, it's no the 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 where you just turn your mouth loose and your brain is not in gear. They are saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. What are they offering here? We call it what? Worship. Worship and praise to God. Listen, I'm so glad to read this because down here where you and I live in sin-polluted land, do you ever hear God's name spoken? How is it spoken? The mechanic busts his knuckle and says, oh, blankety-blank. God's last name does not start with a D. Remember that. We use his name in profanity down here. But up there, what are they doing? They're giving him what he so richly, wonderfully deserves, worship and praise. You know, when our life, our religious life, gets down to where that's about all we can see is how wonderful our God is. You know what? We're going to be ready then to join them up there because we will have started offering praise and worship down here. And continuing on, it says, whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him seated on the throne who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and do what? They worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you did what? Created all things and by your will they existed and were created. Now, in the first part of this chapter, the angel says, come up here and I'll show you what must take place after this. What is going to happen after this? God is going to be what? Worshipped and praised. I wish that everyone who has ever darkened the door of a church, instead of fighting for having it their way, or being the power and in control, this would be their total objective. I want to worship him. And I want him glorified and praised. And I want to add to it. You know, there's a song. My uh, When I was little, my pastor, we had him twice. Interesting. His wife had been trained to sing at Andrews way back when, when it was. What was the name before Andrews? E. M. C. means eat more chocolate. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Emmanuel Missionary College. She was taught to sing down there. And she used to sing this in church several times. There is singing up in heaven such as we have never known, where the angels sing the praises of the Lamb upon the throne. Their bright something and their voices ever sweet. Oh, that we might be more like them. Yes, I forget the words, and then it says, holy, holy is what the angels sing, and I expect to help them make the courts of heaven ring. But when, what? 
I sing redemption story. What are they going to do? They will fold their wings. For angels never felt the joy that our salvation brings. We can start filling the universe with the praise of the Lord. Now, we don't have to wait to get there. We can do it right now, can't we? Anyhow, I, I'm having trouble getting to the main point here, but the main point of this, listen, I don't understand four living creatures, but I do understand the last verse in Ezekiel 1. He says, after seeing this vision, by the way, under them were the wheels, a wheel within a wheel, a turning way in the middle of the air. The king's heralds used to sing that, and I thought, oh, it sounds neat. It's kind of like a spiritual. There's something about white folks, Anglos. We love black spirituals, don't we? We really do. They move our soul, and we need our souls moved. But uh, so complicated, and it says after that, he says, such was a vision of the glory of God. In other words, it's all about God, including the wheels and the four living creatures. All right. Now, again, I don't know of any creature on planet Earth where we live that has four faces. I grew up near a lake, and they used to do a showboat in the summer, and uh, everybody come from all over to go to the Otter Lake showboat. And one of the kids next door, they would use people in the town, and they'd uh, they'd put black shoe polish on their faces so that they would come across as African Americans, which they weren't. But you know, one one of these little guys, Wayne, he was a year older than me, lived. The other side, he came out, there's two women talking and they're gossiping. And he's walking around, one of them looking at, and she's, boy, what are you, what are you looking for? Mom, Mammy says, you got two faces and I'm looking for the other one. Oh my. Anyhow, these have how many faces? Four. Four different faces. What's the first one? A lion. What do we consider the lion? The king. A beast. You ever heard a lion roar? Uh, I was—I forget which zoo. I think our national zoo in D.C. Heard that? You know, the big cat cage and these guys—they roar from down here. They have good diaphragmatic breathing. I'll tell you, they just really roar. We call them the king of beasts. Now, there's a scroll with seven seals on it, and nobody's found worthy to open it. And John starts weeping. And somebody says, John, don't weep anymore. The lion of the tribe of Judah has conquered, and he is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll. Who's that? Jesus. And it says, as he rides forth on that white horse, conquering and conquering, on his thigh is written the name what? King of kings and Lord of lords. Right, Chris? Jesus is our king. What do kings do? They roll. In other words, sit there and tell you what to do, right? No, 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 no. We were in Norway, up in Strine on National Day, May 17. Oh, I forget how many years ago. And way up there, they told us later that the king in Oslo came out and made a public appearance to the people. You know, they love their king. 
Most countries that have a king or a queen, they just love them. Not like we do with our elected officials here. I think maybe, although we don't want to, we don't want to, I better not go down that road any farther because I'm not trying to be political on you. But they love that king. We can love our king too, can't we? Jesus. But a king is there to provide for his people to provide for their needs. He has an army to defend them. In times of famine, he's there to provide food, right? Now, now you tell me, what is your greatest need? Psalm 100, if I can find it. Psalm 100 and... Hundred and three. The thing I like about this psalm, it's one of my favorite chapters now in the Bible. It it speaks about the benefits we receive from our Father or our King Jesus. Alright? Do you remember he was riding on the way to to Jerusalem on Good Friday and he crested the hill? And he looked across, no, this is Palm Sunday, pardon me, Let's little little sooner than that. He stops at the crest hill, looks across the valley over to the temple over there. And what did Jesus start doing at that point? He started crying. Everybody's praising him and he's crying? Huh? That's right. And if you could listen to what he was saying, somebody did and recorded it in the Gospels, how often... I would have gathered you like a hen does its chicks under my wings, and you would not. That is the king who wants to take us in his arms and nurture us and love us and provide for us and and strengthen us. Well, here in verse 3, he praises us for forgiveness of all our iniquity. What is your greatest need? An answer to your sin problem. Wow. He has it. He's our king providing for needs. He'll provide that. What is the second phase? An ox. What did they use oxen for? On the farm, of course. Uh, over at Campus Hobble, Michigan, years ago, there was an older man, Abe. Young guys don't ever get into this anymore I, that, that I know of. Well, Abe had a pair of twin oxen, little guys. And he was working with them, and I'm watching him one early one morning. I was out walking, praying, and I come in this guy running these two little oxen, but they were pretty good size for being so little. And he started telling me all about them. And he said, you know, these are, are full-grown. You know how much one of these is going to be able to pull? He said, together they'll do more than a tractor. I checked it out. A full-grown oxen can pull 10,000 pounds. How many tons is that? You put two of them together, you can do a lot of work, right? But... That's not the only thing they used oxen for. What was another thing they used them for? Sacrifices for sin. Now, when Jesus was 
was circumcised when he was eight days old, they also brought an offering for him. What animals did they offer? Two turtle doves. How strong is a turtle dove? Not very strong. Can't do very much. It does, the blood represents the blood of the one who was going to die not long hence. And that was an oxen, but not just a sacrifice, a sacrifice from strength. Now, Friday afternoon is Jesus, or Friday morning, I think it was, is he was heading to Calvary, Golgotha. What was he supposed to be carrying? Now they say, people have studied, say it wasn't the whole cross. One piece was in the ground permanently, the other was the cross piece, and they'd lift it up and drop it kind of a mortise and tenon joint. And that weighed 150 some pounds itself. Great big strong timber. What did Jesus do under the weight of that? He fell. So how can you say, Pastor, this is an offering from strength? Because had he had sleep? Had he had food? Had he had water? What had they done to his back twice? They had flogged him. Now we talk about the scars in his hands, the scars in his head from the, from the thorns, and, and the thorns on his feet from the nails, the, the, the scar on his side from the spear. But what about his back that was flogged twice? All the blood he lost. No wonder he could hardly walk. It was past human limitations. Where I see the strength was Jesus' commitment. Father, you want me to do this? I will do it. It'll kill me, but I'll do it. And he looked at those people, and he loved them so much. Loves us with incredible passion. So it was his strength of character, his commitment, his devotion, that kept him going and dying. When he got on the cross, Satan changed his tune. He said, you ought to come off the cross. Look at those people. You're not going to accomplish anything. He just stayed up there and died for all of us. Isn't that wonderful? That was a second face, not only a face of a royal provider, but the sacrifice that would be provided for us. What's the third face? Almost done here. What's the third face? Let's see here. I'm getting down to it. All right. Ah, what was Jesus' favorite reference to himself? I am the son of man. Ezekiel, that was what he was referred to, son of man. Jesus is human, and as I already pointed out, does he understand you? Being human, he does. He understands. He's one of us. He's perfect representative. But this was a term meaning Messiah. Son of Man was a Messiah, which means he was the promised one who was going to come. He came. He died right on time. It said when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. Jesus died right on time. So he is our our great king, provider, he is our sacrifice, he is our Messiah, and what about number four there? What was fourth place? 
Now, when you hear eagle, what immediately do you picture in your mind? A bald eagle. You know what? They didn't live over there, and they still don't. The only place you find a bald eagle is North America. So what on earth was this referring to over there, a flying eagle? What kind of birds did they have in the Middle East? Well, a golden eagle or maybe an osprey. Their wings can be four feet long. Whoa. Maybe four feet on a side. That would be a king-sized bird, right? You know how long their flight feathers are? Up to 20 inches long. Incredible birds. Lifting power. By the way, it's much more strenuous for them to flap than just soar. And somebody said that for every hour an eagle or a bird like that is in the air, they have to rest eight hours to recoup their strength and energy. All right. I want you to go to Exodus 19. And look at verse 4. All right. Exodus 19.4. This is the last phase, of course. So you know we're just at the finish of this little study. There's a lot more to work to be done with this chapter, but when I, when I discovered this, it was very exciting to me. Well, Exodus 19 and verse 4, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians. Stop just a minute. What did he do to the Egyptians? Listen, E.E. E. Cleveland, the evangelist I worked with in Detroit one summer as a Bible worker years ago, he had a saying. He talked about the kind of diet most people have. He says, if it, if it swims, if it flies, if it crawls, if it breathes, I pity it. Somebody going to kill it and eat it. <laughs> and yeah, that is the way it is, isn't it? Eagles are birds of prey they're carrying, right? They were worshipped. Scarab beetles were worshipped. Uh, you name it, the Egyptians worshipped it. Like, we eat it. They worshipped them. You see in some of these museums over there, I've never been there, but I'd love to go to the Cairo Museum. Loaded with all these things they worshipped. What did God, what did the plague say to the Egyptian people about their gods? They worshiped the Nile. What happened to the Nile? Turned blood. And all the fish in it died and stank. They, what happened to the frogs they worshiped? When they piled them up in piles, all dead, stinking. Whoo, boy. Terrible, terrible. This kind of thing. There were judgments on the Egyptians telling them, your gods are useless. Worship me. I can make something happen. Well, anyhow, they, uh, he said, you saw what I did to the Egyptians. I blew the cover on all their false gods. But then he said, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Have you ever seen or read about how little eaglets learn to fly? When they get big enough, all of a sudden, Mom and Dad start pulling that fuzz out of the bottom of the nest. And then what do you got left? Thorns. Sharp thorns. Ow! Ooh! All of a sudden, it's not comfortably there anymore. And Mom and Dad are saying, it's time for you to be on your way, son, daughter. And so they kind of nudge them and they fall. Where are eagles' nests usually? 
way up there somewhere. It's tough. They start fluttering down and they haven't learned how to fly yet. What does the parent do? Sweeps down and just catches them. And carries them back up. Puts them on the nest and then here we go again. And all of a sudden, you know, they put their wings out and suddenly, whoo. We have a little girl over in the next building in our apartment complex. Just about a week or two ago, learned how to ride a bicycle. You know, when they, when they're trying, you watch children, you know, they're just steady. And then you just hold it. The wheels will hold you up. Get them rolling. You know, you're riding on two gyroscopes, right? <laughs> and they'll do it every time. One would, but you got two. And here you go. And all of a sudden, they're holding it. They lift their legs. And all of a sudden, hey, and we came in, I think about, oh, about a week ago, we drove onto the grounds, and here goes Maya, pedaling like mad, zoom, so wonderful. And those little eaglets learn to fly a zoom. It's wonderful to see. But Dad swoops down, Mom catches them and lifts them up. That's the picture, the great deliverer. All of this is God our king, through Jesus, our provider for what we need the most, salvation. He's the Messiah who promised he would come and he came. He he keeps every promise and he's our great, great deliverer. How wonderful to have someone like him. Oh, oh, what a God we serve. So, you need somewhere to pin your faith today. You need somewhere that you can go to and say, I can count on you. Put your faith in those four faces. Amen? He is to us a God whose glory is his character, a character that is focused on the likes of you and me. And all the people said, Amen, praise the Lord. You know, those two are tied together, aren't they? Trust and obedience. If you trust, you really can obey. Because when he says, go forward, you'll know, it's safe. I can do it. He'll take me through. And he will. For benediction today, I'm going to use two of them, 908 and 920. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. That was a blessing from Aaron on the people. And the last one was written by the Apostle Peter, who was crucified upside down for the one he loved that he writes about here. Grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory now and for all eternity. Amen. So be it.